So we are beginning Masechet Betza. We are, Bezrat Hashem, starting the new Masechet and hopefully be able to have uh, continuity and uh, consistency for the next, uh, for this Masechet. Given the Yamim Tovim, there are definitely going to be some days that it's going to be a little complicated scheduling-wise, but we'll hopefully figure out some alternative for those days, uh, the, the, at least for the Erev Yom Tov and Erev Shabbat, and work around it, and then, you know, we'll, uh, we'll do our best. Um... The, uh, so the, the, the Masechet is called Betza. Really everybody knows that, you know, another name for the Masechet is Masechet Yom Tov. A lot of times the Rishonim, they refer to this Masechet as Masechet Yom Tov. Uh, but the, classically, uh, we typically refer to a Masechet by the first word that the uh, Masechet begins with. So we, they chose the name Betza. Even though uh, really in most Rishonim, like literature of the Rishonim, they, talk, they call it Masechet Yom Tov. Because that's actually what the topic of the, uh, of the Masechet is. There are some, obviously, there's some, uh, uh, you know, Masechetot typically are named, Prakim are typically named after the uh, first word. And Masechetot are typically named after the, uh, after the topic, really. So really it should be Masechet Yom Tov. Here it's called Masechet Betza. Who knows why? Anyway, so... Uh, so if an if an egg is laid on Yom Tov, Betchamai says it can be eaten and Betilel says it can't be eaten, and this is one of the few places, as we're gonna see the this Mishnah contains three places with respect to Yom Tov that Betchamai is lenient and Betilel is stringent. Obviously we know in general Betilel is the lenient one and Betchamai is the stringent one. There are some exceptions to that rule. These are exceptions that have to do with Yom Tov, and that's why they're put together in a single uh, in a single Mishnah. So the um, so the first one is that if an egg is born on is laid on Yom Tov, it can be eaten according to Beit Shammai. It is, there's no problem with eating it. Now the Gemara is going to go into what prohibition would be involved in eating this egg or not eating this egg, and so on. Beit Shammai Omrim Seor Bekazayit VeChametz BeChichotevet. Uh, when it comes to seor, we know there's two prohibited substances that the Torah deals with with regard to chametz. One is chametz, which is the edible uh, leavened items. And edible leavened items, Beit Shammai says, is bechichotevet. Uh, that means the size of a date as opposed to bechazayit, which is the size of, a, uh, of an olive. Uh, according to Beit Hillel, both prohibitions are a kazait. And again, the Gemara is going to discuss which prohibition of chametz uh, is it talking about. Because there are multiple prohibitions. But the difference between chametz and seor is that chametz is the edible kind of leavened uh, food. And seor is actually like a kind of a sourdough that is uh, not really edible. It's usually used as a starter dough for other uh, baking. It's not really edible in and of itself. And the chidush of the uh, the chidush of the um, of the uh, uh, of the Torah is that even even though um, the um, even though the seor is not edible technically. Um, the uh, none, nevertheless, it comes under the prohibition of chametz. So, uh, but here you see that Beit Shammai is saying that since since seor is more intense, in other words, its level of chimutz is more intense. So, therefore, the measurement of prohibition is 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 more strict, meaning it's even less 
uh, only a kazayit amount will make you liable. But if it's chametz, where it's not as intensely leavened, you could say, so therefore it requires more substance to be liable. That's what Beit Shammai is saying. We'll see which prohibition, because remember, there's at least two prohibitions. There's owning chametz, there's eating chametz. We're going to see. Now, Beit Hillel says there's no difference. Both of them kazayit. Okay, now, hashochet chayav of biyom tov, if a person slaughters a wild animal such as a deer um, or a bird on Yom Tov, so we know that in addition to the Shechita, you have to do something called Kisui Adam. We learned about it in Masachet Chulin. There's an entire parak of Perak Kisui Adam. But we're all familiar that when it comes to animals, uh, we don't cover the blood. But when it, comes, when it comes to domesticated animals, cows, sheep, goats, and so on, we don't cover the blood. When it comes to wild animals, uh, such as a deer... Um, if we slaughter it, we have to cover the blood, and the same goes for birds. If we slaughter a bird to eat it, we have to uh, cover the blood. So the question is, what happens? We know shechita is permitted on Yom Tov. What about covering the blood? Covering the blood potentially could involve uh, multiple issues. And again, the Gemara is going to be uh, explaining to us which issues exactly are the concern here. So let's leave that as a question mark, because the Gemara is going to deal with that. But something involved in the digging or the moving of the dirt uh, could be problematic from the perspective of halachot of Yom Tov. So, one, so the thing is, if a person slaughters chayavov b'yom tov, he says, take the shovel, dig up the dirt and cover the blood with it. Because once you did the mitzvah already of shechita, you have the obligation now of kisu yadam. Um, and she should cover it. Okay, so in other words, according to Beit Shammai, if a person finds himself in a situation where, and the Gemara again is going to discuss, is it talking about Lechatchila B'Diavad? If we read it simply, what it sounds like is this, that if a person... Um, that if a person wants to go slaughter a bird on Yom Tov and realizes he doesn't have dirt available to cover the blood, according to Beit Shammai, nevertheless, he can go ahead and he can slaughter the bird. And then he can dig with a shovel and he can cover the blood. Beit Hillel says, no, he should only do the shechita if he already had the dirt. Okay, so it sounds like they're talking about in the lechatchila case. The person comes, he wants to have chicken for, for lunch. He sees that he doesn't have any dirt available. According to Beit Hillel, forget it. According to Beit Shammai, go ahead. And then once you have the obligation of Kisui Adam, take a shovel, take the dirt and put it. That's what it sounds like according to the Pshat. The Gemara will deal with it, of course. And Vishav and Umudi, Shimshachat. Then everyone agrees if he already did the Shechita, Sheyachpor Bedeker Vichaseh. That in that case, he should go with the shovel dig the dirt, and put it on the uh, spot. So again, if we're reading the Mishnah in a very, you know, according to the Pshutoshel Mikra, so to speak, of the Mishnah, the simple reading of the Mishnah, what it sounds like it means is, if a person goes to do Shechita on Yom Tov and realizes he doesn't have dirt, Beit Shammai says, go ahead and do it and cover the blood. Beit Hillel says, no. If he already slaughtered, everyone agrees he can go and dig dirt and cover the blood even if he didn't have it prepared beforehand. Rashi here says, don't take it too literally, don't take it too far. They're talking about a case where the shovel was at least stuck into the dirt from before Yom Tov. Not that you can actually stick it into the dirt on Yom Tov, but the Gemara will explain all of that. And then the last statement is, She'efer kira muchanhu, because the ashes in an oven are considered muchan, are considered prepared. 
That has seemingly nothing to do with anything that we've discussed so far in the Mishnah. The Gemara, again, will take up these problems. There's a lot of unanswered questions in the Mishnah. For a Mishnah, it has a lot of uh, vague content that needs to be unpacked by the Gemara. We'll see. Okay. Now, Gemara says, first of all, let's start with the first case of the egg that is laid on Yom Tov. That's going to be the first sub- subject of the Gemara. It says, What kind of a chicken are we talking about here? Now, obviously, it doesn't have to be talking about a chicken, but that's, you know, that, that's the assumption, the hen. So, so if you're talking about a case where the, uh, the, we're talking about a chicken or a bird that was set aside for eating. In other words, that means that this chicken or this bird is, uh, and you know, you're allowed to slaughter a bird on Yom Tov for food. You're allowed to do shechita. So you look at that hen or whatever and you see a potential lunch. It's not muktzeh, it's edible to you. You could eat it. So therefore, if you had slaughtered it five minutes ago, whatever was inside would have been included. You could have eaten that too. So if it gives, if it lays the egg, why should the egg all of a sudden become muktzeh? Right? What's the reasoning of Beit Hillel say it's muktzeh? It's food that came out of food. In other words, if you had slaughtered it five minutes ago, you could have eaten the entire thing as it was. Now that a, the egg dropped out of the chicken, all of, it, all of a sudden it became muktzeh. Why? It's just like a piece of food. It's like a piece of bread that broke off of the loaf of bread. It's just a piece of the, the whole thing is edible anyway. The whole thing was food before and it's food now. Why should it be muktzeh? Okay. So maybe I'll say, no, we're talking about a hen that is designated for laying eggs, which means to say that the hen itself was muktzeh because it was com- for commercial purposes. It was not meant to be eaten. It was not meant for food. Okay, and now the egg came out. So you can't say that's food that came out of food. And it's like you cut a piece of food in half. No, it's a new entity. So then the question becomes, if that's the case, then we don't understand the reasoning of Beit Shammai. Why? Because it's muktzeh. Why? Because this is a new entity. In other words, what it was before was part of a machine, basically. An egg-producing machine called a hen. Right now that it popped out, it's a new entity. Now it's a food, so it's a new phenomenon. It's called nolad, a newly born entity which is considered muktzeh because it wasn't prepared, it wasn't available for use on erev Shabbat or erev Yom Tov. It's called nolad. It's a type of muktzeh. So since the hen and the egg are qualitatively different, one is an egg-producing machine, not a food, because it's a hen that's meant legadil betzim, and one is a food, so it's considered a new entity, and it's going to be muktzeh. So how can Beit Shammai justify allowing you to, um, uh, to consume this egg on the Yom Tov? So now, so the Gemara says, wait a second, umay kushya. Why are you so sure? Maybe that side makes more sense because we could say, Dilma Bet Shamai let leo mukze. Maybe Bet Shamai doesn't hold of mukze. Now we've learned in Masechet Betza that there are various theories of mukze put by the Tanaim, ranging from Rabbi Shimon, who is very, very lenient. And we always say, Rabbi Shimon let le mukze. He doesn't hold of mukze, meaning not that he doesn't hold of it at all. But he has such a limited range of what he considers muktzeh, it's as if. It's ke'ilut as if he didn't have any muktzeh because he's so lenient in his, his, what he, where he applies uh, muktzeh. So that's called 
in lo mukze. So you could say Beit Shammai doesn't hold of mukze. So maybe that's why they say that the egg can be eaten. It came out of the chicken and there's no concept of mukze. They're very liberal about mukze. They don't say something has to be designated beforehand. So you should be able to eat the egg. So Gemara says, kasal kedatid, afiloman binolad asar, that we assumed that it's one thing not to subscribe to the concept of mukze, meaning you don't believe that something has to be specifically designated before Shabbat or Yom Tov to be permitted for use. But binolad asar, but even somebody who's lenient like, like Rabbi Shimon, or like we're saying Beit Shammai would be, even they would say that something that is nolad, that didn't even exist on Erev Yom Tov or Erev Shabbat is going to be mukze. Now, why would that be? Because what do you mean by late leo mukze? What do you mean that they don't hold by mukze? Do you mean that they don't hold by mukze means that they don't have a concept of mukze at all? And therefore, whether it came to be or whether it changed its status on Yom Tov, it doesn't matter. Or no, mukze, late leo mukze means that we assume that anything that you had on Arab Shabbat or Arab Yom Tov, implicitly you intend to use anything that you can use for the next 24 to 48 hours. That's the assumption. So even if it's a hammer, even if it's something that, uh, whatever the situation is, even if it's something that breaks on Shabbat or Yom Tov, you were thinking in the back of your unconscious mind that if this happens to break, I'm going to use it on Shabbat or Yom Tov. Meaning there's an implicit blanket um, designation of everything that exists for the purpose of Shabbat and Yom Tov. If that's what it means not having muktzeh, so then it wouldn't apply to nolad because nolad didn't exist at all on Erev Shabbat, Erev Yom Tov. So we can't say you had in mind to use it on, Erev Shab- on, on Shabbat or Yom Tov because it didn't even exist. But if you say that the idea of not having muktzeh is not that we assume that you just had a, a blanket um, intention for everything available, but that there simply is no concept unless something was rejected for use, it's automatically present for use, and there's no concept of muktzeh otherwise, so then nolad would also be okay. So the Gemara is saying, we're assuming that nolad is prohibited according to Beit Shammai, even if they perm- permit muktzeh, because we're saying that what, what we mean by permitting muktzeh is that we assume that everything physically available to you on the onset of Shabbat or Yom Tov, you intend to use if you can. But that won't help you, obviously, that won't help you with Nolad, because Nolad is totally new and didn't exist prior to Yom Tov or Shabbat altogether. Okay, so now the question is, What is the reasoning of Beit Shammai? Since we're saying, in other words, according, if you hold that the, uh, that the we're talking about a hen that was for eating, you're going to eat the hen. So then whether it's the chicken or the egg, it doesn't matter. They're both the same thing. It should be not mukte. And if you're saying that the hen is for laying eggs, then the egg should definitely be considered no lad. It's a new entity and with a new identity, and therefore it should be prohibited. So the Gemara answers, Beit Shammai Rabbi Shimon, Beit Hillel Rabbi Yehuda. Simple answer. We go, we have to discard our assumption. It's not true that, the, that when we say that Rabbi Shimon doesn't hold of Muktzeh, it's not because we assume that, that, that Rabbi Shimon is assuming that a person has in mind, in the back of their mind, deep down inside, an assumption that anything that exists when Shabbat and Yom Tov starts, they're going to use it. 
Because if that were the case, then anything that didn't exist when Shabbat and Yom Tov started, that came into existence on Shabbat or Yom Tov, would be no lad and would be prohibited. No. What he's saying is, when he says, I don't hold of Muktzeh, he means anything I didn't reject explicitly for use on Shabbat or Yom Tov is fair game. And I didn't reject the nolad because it didn't exist. I couldn't have rejected it. In other words, it's not that he, it's not the presence of a positive that you need to make it not muktzeh. It's the absence of a negative. The nolad also doesn't have the negative being rejected because you never thought to reject it either. It didn't exist. So therefore, there's two extremes. There's Rabbi Yehuda who prohibits muktzeh and nolad because he says something that didn't exist, you couldn't have had in mind to use it. And something that didn't exist in its current state couldn't have had in mind to use it either. And therefore, muktzeh applies and nolad applies. And according to Rabbi Shimon, Unless you rejected it on Erev Shabbat or Yom Tov, it's fair game. And that includes even things that came into existence on Shabbat and Yom Tov. You couldn't have rejected them because they didn't exist. And therefore, according to Beit Shammai, the egg that comes into existence on Yom Tov is fair game. You can eat it. According to Beit Hillel, it's no lad and therefore prohibited. But the only thing is, is that true? Then Rav Nachman said that because Vatsnan we learned in the Mishnah Beit Shammai Omrim Adbin Me'alashulchan Atzamot Uklipin Ubeit Hillel Omrim Mesalekat Atavla Kula Uminara that according to it, that we said, that what? Because in our Mishnah, Beit Shammai is the lenient one, and Beit Hillel is the stringent one. And in this Mishnah also, Beit Shammai says, you can take off of the table bones and shells. And Rashi says that means even bones and shells that are not edible at all. So therefore, they're definitely muktzeh, you could take them off of the table. The, the Tosfot says, no, that kind of thing, nobody says you could take off the table. We're talking about um, items that were edible for humans and now they've been downgraded and they're only edible for animals. But either way, the point is they're muktzeh and Beit Shammai says you can move them. Beit Hillel says, You can't do that. You can't take those shells and bones right off the table. You have to shake out the tablecloth and, uh, and cast them off. You can't touch them directly. And what it, So that would seem to fit with what we're saying because Beit Shammai is being lenient about muktzeh and Beit Hillel is being stringent, but the only problem is as follows, that Rav Nachman messed it up over there. Because Rav Nachman said over there, Anu en lanu, this is not what we have. This is not our tradition. Ela, Beit Shammai kirabi Yehuda, u Beit Hillel kirabi Shimon. Beit Hillel is the one who really was lenient and said you could pick up the bones and the shells off the table. And Beit Shammai is the one who was stringent. So wait a second. In our Mishnah, Rav Nachman comes along and says that Beit Shammai is lenient about Muktzeh and Nolad. And Beit Hillel is stringent about Muktzeh and Nolad. But in the, uh, in the Mishnah Masechet Shabbat, he said the opposite. He said, even though that's what it says in the Mishnah, he flipped it around and said, no, Beit Shammai is the stringent. Beit Hillel is the lenient. Why would he do that? So the answer is, Amalach Rav Nachman when it comes to Shabbat, we have a Stam Mishnah, an anonymous Mishnah that endorses the view of Rabbi Shimon. It says that you can cut gourds in front of an animal, which does not really have anything to do with Muktzeh, that has to do with Tircha, doing extra effort and work on Shabbat or Yom Tov for an animal. And means that even though the animal was alive and well. Let's say a cow was alive and well, maybe not so well, but at least alive on Arab Shabbat. 
and it died on Shabbat, you can cut up that meat for your animal. Obviously, you can't eat it because it's nevela. You could cut up that animal for dogs to eat it, even though it should be muktzeb because it was a living animal at the beginning of Shabbat. So it was definitely not in a state where you could have used it. And now it's dead, so it's really muktzeb. And you shouldn't be able to use it. But it says in the Mishnah, it's towards the end of Masechet Shabbat actually, that it says you're allowed to cut it up for the animals. So what do you see from that? You see from that that the, that the, uh, that the Mishnah is endorsing the view of Rabbi Shimon, the lenient view, that you can take this nevelah, this animal that died on Shabbat, and even though you'd think it would be Moktzeh, you could cut it up, right? However, so therefore, Mokim la kebetilel. We always want to say the halacha follows betilel. So since by Shabbat we see that, that, the, that the Mishnah endorses, the Stam Mishnah endorses Rabbi Shimon's lenient view of Muktzeh, we have to assign that to Beit Hillel. But, but when it comes to, uh, that's why we said, Mokim la'al Beit Hillel Rabbi Shimon. Aval, gabe Yom Tov, disatam lantanak Rabbi Yehuda. But when it comes to Yom Tov, we have a Stam Mishnah that endorses Rabbi Yehuda, ditznan. And as the Tosfot explains, it's mainly, mainly the point is from the second case. The first case is talking about um, boards that are piled up because they're very expensive, fancy construction quality, construction grade boards for whatever they're doing, building something. Those are muktzeh because you don't want them to be damaged. So you would never use them for anything other than their designated purpose, very expensive boards. Okay, you can't use those for firewood on Yom Tov because they're muktzeh. You also can't use Yom Tov. If you have a board that broke on Yom Tov, it's also muktzeh because before it was usable for something else. Now it's a broken. Now it's a sheverkli. It became something new, and um, and since before Yom Tov it was not designated for uh, for firewood, you can't now use it for firewood. Okay. Now, because it now broke, you want to use it, but you can't. So what do you see there? So you see that we're following Rabbi Yehuda. So mokim la lebetelel ki Rabbi Yehuda. So what Rav Nachman is saying is that when it comes to Shabbat, we find that the Stam Mishnah, the anonymous Mishnah, uh, endorses a lenient view of Muktzeh because it says that you could cut up the nevelah in front of the dogs. Okay, even though the animal died on Shabbat. On the other hand, when it comes to Yom Tov, we see the Mishnah endorses the strict view of Rabbi Yehuda because it says if a board breaks on Yom Tov, you still can't use that wood that broke for purposes of firewood. So therefore, we want the Halakha always to follow Beit Hillel. So we're going to say that Beit Hillel must be the one by Shabbat that is very lenient about Muktzeh, and Beit Hillel must be the one by Yom Tov that is strict about Muktzeh. So that's why we had to flip around the Mishnah and Masechet Shabbat. To make it that Beit Hillel was the one over there who was lenient. Even though in Yom Tov he's the one who's stringent. Now there's only one problem which is as follows. Let's see. Who's the one who made the anonymous Mishnayot? It didn't fall out from Shemayim. How did it happen? Okay, Rabbi. It was Rabbi Udanasi. So Maishna Bishabat Satamlan Kirabi Shimon. Umaishna Biyom Tov Satamlan Kirabi Yehuda. That's the problem. In other words, at the end of the day, it's a very nifty, creative uh, solution to say that, well, we see that the Stam Mishnah, the anonymous Mishnah, endorses a lenient view of Muktzeh by Shabbat and a stringent view of Muktzeh by Yom Tov. But what sense does that make? Why should you go both ways? So the answer is, when it comes to Shabbat, 
Why we go like Rabbi Shimon? Umayishna biyom tov. The Satan and Rabbi Yehuda. Amrei Shabbat dechamira v'la atelizalzuleba Satan and Rabbi Shimon to make it yom tov dekil v'atelizalzulebe Satan and Rabbi Yehuda de machmir. Very interesting. Sometimes the logic of the Chachamim goes the opposite of conventional logic, and sometimes it goes in the direction of conventional logic. Because you might have thought, you might have had the opposite view. You might have said that really, um, when it comes to Shabbat, it's so strict, we should have stricter Muktzeh. And on Yom Tov, it's more lenient, we should have more lenient Muktzeh. It says, no, the opposite. When it comes to Shabbat, that's already very strict. We don't feel that we have to impose such strict rules of Muktzeh. Because you already have Shabbat, you know that it's very strict. When it comes to Yom Tov, it's a lighter day, it's easier, more lenient, you can use fire, you can carry, this, that. So maybe we need a more strict Muktzeh so people will not come to take Yom Tov less seriously than they should. Okay, that's the logic of Betilel is basically what he's saying. That's why Betilel, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi is saying that Betilel would hold that. Now, the question, of course, that the Gemara doesn't deal with is that this is forcing Beit Shammai into exactly the opposite position, right? Because, by, by, so, it's saying, oh, Shabbat, that's Chamur, we're going to have lenient Muktzeh. Yom Tov, that is lenient, we're going to have, mach, we're going to have stringent Muktzeh. But that forces Beit Shammai to say that, that Shabbat, which is Chamur, we're going to have strict muktzeh. And Yom Tov, which is lenient, we're going to have lenient muktzeh. And once you talk out the question, you can see that that can also be a defensible position. In other words, it depends how you look at muktzeh. If you look at muktzeh as a, uh, as a fence around the law, it's a fence around Shabbat. It's a fence around Yom Tov. So you could say, Shabbat that's already treated very strictly, we don't need such a fence. So we have a lower fence, Right. Yom Tov that is treated, treated more leniently, we need a higher fence. That's Beit Hillel. Beit Shammai, seem, you could argue, is saying, no, Muktzeh reflects the Kiddushat Yom. Since Shabbat is a more strict Kiddushat Yom, so we'll say the Muktzeh is also higher. And Yom Tov, that's a lower Kiddushat Yom, so to speak, meaning it's less stringent Kiddushat Yom, so that's less strict Muktzeh. So it's a question of whether the law of Muktzeh is a fence around Shabbat or Yom Tov, or whether the Muktzeh is a reflection of, an extension of the Kiddushat Yom, and therefore it will be at the same level, stricter for Shabbat, more lenient for Yom Tov. Okay, so that's the, so, but Beit Hillel is saying that it's a fence, so therefore it's going to be lenient for Shabbat and stricter for Yom Tov. And that's actually how the Rambam rules in uh, Ilchot Shabbat and Ilchot Yom Tov. He rules like the like uh, Rabbi Shimon, like according to this, that basically stricter rules on Yom Tov than on Shabbat. Now the Gemara says, "Now wait, Kimta. What? It, let's let's revisit this whole thing. So we concluded as follows: that what are we talking about here? That our Mishnah is talking about a case that everybody would agree that if the tur- if the chicken was for eating, then the fact that it laid an egg that egg would also be considered just an extension of the chicken because they both could have been eaten five minutes ago. So therefore, um, therefore, we wouldn't have an issue of muktzeh. So we're talking about a case where the hen is a, an egg-producing hen. It's not for eating. And we're saying the whole issue is about muktzeh. So then, So then why do you have to even come to the egg? It's a good question. In other words, if the whole issue between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel 
is whether or not the muktze applies on, on Yom Tov. That's really the issue. Why do you have to talk about an egg that was born on Yom Tov? Talk about the chicken itself. A chicken, a hen, a hen that is meant legadil betim, it's meant to grow, to lay eggs, right? Beit Shammai says it's not muktze because he doesn't hold by muktze so much. And, Beit, and Rabbi Uda says that it is. And, or, or uh, you know, Beit Hillel says that it is. Why do you need to come onto the egg? So it says, Adam ipalgibe Beit Hillel, go down the gullet. So it says, no, lahodiacha kochan de Beit Shammai de binolad sherei. Normally, what do we say? Koach de hetera adif. If one side is more lenient, we show the extent of the leniency of that side. So it would make sense. We talk about the egg, because the egg is not only mukze, it's also nolad. It's also something new. And we said before, it's a bigger chidush, it's a bigger novelty to say that nolad is permitted. Because you could argue, you could make the case that mukze is prohibited. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Mukta is permitted because you have in mind for everything that you have. And you have in mind that if anything changes, you still want to use that item. But when it comes to Nolad that didn't even exist, you could say it would be stricter. So it's a big chidush that, Rabbi, that the Beit Shammai is allowing even the egg that was born, right? So it would make sense to emphasize the egg case because that's the, extre- the extreme level of Beit Shammai's permissiveness. But the only thing is, Why don't we go the other way? Why don't we talk about the chicken to emphasize how strict Beitilel is? That they don't even allow you to handle the chicken because that chicken is designated for laying eggs. Maybe you'll say, well, that's the reason why. It's very simple. Because normally, what do we say? We normally say that we try to exhibit the extent of leniency. That's a bigger novelty. So that's why we talk about the egg. But here, the only thing is here, we could have hit two birds with one stone. No pun intended. Or maybe pun intended, right? Two birds, why? Because we could say like this. With just a little bit of an added phrase, we could touch both of them, right? In other words, we have the possibility of touching both issues, the chicken and the egg, and saying that, showing how strict Beit Hillel is and also how lenient Beit Shammai is. So the fact that it doesn't do that, the fact that the Mishnah only talks about the egg means that the chicken here must not be a subject of the dispute. Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel were not arguing about the chicken because if they had been, they would have mentioned it. Right, and we know the fact that being lenient is more powerful, is more significant. So Rashi says, because anybody can be stringent. Anybody could say, I don't know, so let's just be out of caution, let's not do it. But if you're going to be lenient, you have to have proof, you have to have reasoning, and you have to somech al shmuato. You have to rely on your judgment and have confidence in your judgment and conviction to be able to be lenient. To be stringent, anybody can be stringent. Right? So he says, because anybody. He says, anybody can give you a strict answer, right? Because uh, it's easy to give a strict answer. You're covered, you're covered. And Tosfot also, he says, Tosfot says also, that a person can be strict without any reason. Okay, now they're making fun of that, by the way. They're saying that that means you're a low-level person because you, you, don't, you don't have enough knowledge and conviction to be lenient, so you're just hedging and you're saying you don't know, so you're being strict. Right? They're saying that a person could be machmir belotam because he's not capable of knowing the truth. 
Right? But I actually saw this brought in a sefer that said, oh, you see from here that you can accept any chumrah, even if it doesn't make sense and you don't have any reason. Because look, it says, Adam bilotam. And I saw that in a sefer on Isur Veheter. In a sefer on, on Kashrut, it's one of the modern sefarim. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want to trash it because it's actually a good sefer. I don't want to say. But he says that in the beginning and I looked at that and I said, are you serious? You know, like, it, they're literally saying the opposite, that that's the wrong thing. And yet he said, oh, you see, he says, so it's okay to be machmir belotam. It's like, okay. Anyway, moving on. That's just a comedy relief for you. Now, so therefore, what do we say? It, can't, it has to be an issue that only applies to the egg, not to the chicken, right? Because otherwise it would have mentioned the chicken. So therefore, We are talking here, not about a chicken that is muktzeh, but about a chicken that is actually for food. And it had a baby. It had a, well, had laid an egg, rather. Right? And, We're talking about a Yom Tov that fell on Sunday. Okay? Now, what, what's the significance of it? The reason is because of preparation. Because according to Rabbah, it is a mitzvah, for whatever food you are going to eat on Shabbat or Yom Tov to have been designated out of Kivod Shabbat or Kivod Yom Tov, it had to be designated for that purpose on the day before, on Chol actually, on Chol. So if Yom Tov came before Shabbat, it wouldn't be good enough. And the Chol Beitzah, the Kasavar Kol Beitzah Demit Yaldaha Idana, Me'etmol Gamrala. Because since every egg that is laid today was finished yesterday, and we're saying we're talking about a Yom Tov that fell on a Sunday, so that means that this egg that was born on Yom Tov was actually finished by Shabbat. It was finished on Shabbat for Yom Tov. So therefore it wasn't prepared on Chol for Yom Tov. So it's not allowed to be used. Okay, Da'amar Rabbah, V'Rabbah L'Tamei. Rabbah is following his reasoning. Da'amar Rabbah, Mai Dikhti Vaya Bayom HaShishi. Because we know that Moshe Rabbeinu said to the people on the sixth day on Friday, you have to prepare everything that you're going to use for Shabbat. And as, to, and as Rashi explains, it can't, and, and what does that mean? It says specifically on the sixth day, meaning, weekday prepares for Shabbat, and weekday prepares for Yom Tov. But you can't have Yom Tov prepared for Shabbat And you can't have Shabbat prepared for Yom Tov And therefore anything that came into existence And is ready for Shabbat Had to be for, for the meals of Shabbat Rashi says because of the chashivut Because of the significance of the meals of Shabbat and Yom Tov To show the kavod You have to have the items ready and prepared and designated beforehand and he says, it doesn't just mean the cooking and the baking. Because the pasuk says already you have to cook and bake everything beforehand. What is it telling you? It's telling you that the items had to be designated in advance. And therefore, on Shabbat, if, it's, if, if, you, if an egg is born on, on, on Yom Tov, that is on Sunday, that means Shabbat prepared for Yom Tov. And it would be, and, and, and it would be the opposite too, that if the, if it was a Shabbat, if there's a Friday Yom Tov and the egg was born on Shabbat, so then on Shabbat you wouldn't be able to swallow the egg like Rocky used to swallow those raw eggs. You shouldn't do it because of salmonella, but I'm saying, you know, they used to do that in the old days. Um, Rocky would mix all those eggs in that thing and he would drink it, right? Because they didn't know about salmonella back then. 
So in the, uh, in, you know, in, in, so the, uh, they would say, Ligmoa Betzab Bishabbat. They would be allowed to do that except for the fact that it was formed on Yom Tov. Now the issue is, so Rashi says, what about on a regular Sunday if an egg is born on Sunday? Doesn't that mean that the egg was finished on Shabbat? That's okay. Because it's not that we have a problem that the egg was finished on Shabbat. You didn't make the egg on Shabbat. No person did. It was Mina Shemayim. The problem is that, and, and a Sunday meal is not special. It doesn't need to have been designated the day before. But a Shabbat meal is special. The food had to be designated. A Yom Tov, all of your achilot, all of your eating on Yom Tov, a Shabbat has to be designated from beforehand. And that's why um, it has to be uh, that you know, in that case, you wouldn't be able to eat the egg. So that would be the machloket. According to Beit Hillel, he's agreeing with Rabbah's idea that anything that you eat had to be designated beforehand, and Beit Shammai is not agreeing with it. And Tosafot, of course, asked a very powerful, very good question: What about every time we have an Arab, uh, we have an Arab Shabbat that fall, that's a holiday? We have Eruv Tavshilid, and we prepare all the food on Yom Tov for Shabbat. It's exa- against this. Right? So one answer that he gives is, well, we hold the position of ho'il. Ho'il means since what we cooked on Yom Tov could have been eaten on Yom Tov, right? it's not considered like the Yom Tov prepared for Shabbat. It's considered like we prepared food for Yom Tov and it was ready before Shabbat came, so it was okay. That's one possibility. The, in other words, we're just eating the food of Yom Tov on Shabbat. So technically it's like we're eating the Yom Tov, food of Yom Tov on Shabbat, not the Yom Tov prepared for Shabbat. Another possibility, as he said, it's different than an egg being born because cooking is not creation of something totally new. It's just a tikkun. You improved it. You, that's different than what we're talking about here. But anyway, that would be the question. Now, the Amar Abaye, Abaye said... If that's true, according to you, that the only issue here is an egg that was born on a Yom Tov because it might have been formed in the chicken on Shabbat the day before. So then a regular Yom Tov, what's the problem? Let's say the first day of Rosh Hashanah, egg is born on that day. So it was formed on, on Monday, Monday's weekday. So what's the problem? Why should it be a problem? It says, no, gzerah, mishum, Yom Tov achar Shabbat. So the reason is it's a gzerah, you'll make a mistake. So Shabbat, in other words, really, according to this, the whole situation is only relevant primarily on a Shabbat that follows a Yom Tov or a Yom Tov that follows a Shabbat. But since we're in a situation where we'll make a mistake and you'll say, oh, I remember last Yom Tov, we ate an egg that was born on Yom Tov. So why can't we do it this time? Not realizing that the last Yom Tov wasn't a Sunday. This one was. Or the person will say, I remember last time we ate the egg on Shabbat that was laid on Shabbat. Why can't we do it this time? Oh, because he doesn't realize that one wasn't a, uh, a Shabbat that followed a Friday Yom Tov. And this one is. So therefore they made a gzera. And then the question is, and is it really true that we make such a We say that if a person slaughters a chicken and inside the chicken are eggs that were not laid yet, but they were gmuot, they were full, they were ready, meaning that they were finished yesterday in the body of the chicken and they probably would have been uh, laid five minutes from now uh, if you had let it be. So really you have the same problem. Really they were formed the day before. And if you're going to say there's a gzerah, that maybe, uh, you know, maybe we have to be concerned that uh, you'll mix it up with a Yom Tov that follows a Shabbat or a Shabbat that follows a Yom Tov and we don't do that. Ve'im ita if it's true that we're really concerned about making zerot, 
Why, you don't, why don't we say, just like you can't eat an egg that was born on Yom Tov, because maybe you'll eat the egg that was born on a Yom Tov that followed a Shabbat, or that was fo- born on a Shabbat that followed a Yom Tov. So too, if you slaughter a chicken on Yom Tov and you find inside betzim gmurot, whole eggs that are ready to be laid, you also shouldn't eat them because maybe you'll mix it up with a case where the uh, chicken laid the egg. It says, no, over there, it, we say like this, the rabbis don't make Xeran an unusual case. And it's a very unusual case to find betzim gmurot, to find eggs that are whole, that are completely formed inside a slaughtered chicken. It's very rare. And therefore, since it's very rare, we don't make such Xeran. Now, Rashi here says that we're talking about, a, we're specifically talking about a case that, um, that, you know, he says you have another problem, which is Xeran le-Xeran. It should be because we already are saying that on a regular Yom Tov, if the egg is born, really it wouldn't be a problem. It would only really be a problem if that Yom Tov followed a Shabbat so that the egg was completed on Shabbat in the body of the chicken. And we have a rule that whatever is completed for the Yom Tov has to be completed on a weekday, even if it's Bidei Shemayim, okay? Or on a Shabbat that followed a Yom Tov. But if you don't have that on a regular Yom Tov or a regular Shabbat, you wouldn't have to be concerned about the egg that was born on that day, really. You wouldn't have to. So that's already a that we're making. So you don't make a mistake. And now you're going to come and say that if you find eggs inside a chicken on Yom Tov or Shabbat, you shouldn't eat them. Why? Because maybe when the chicken lays the egg, you'll eat it. And why can't you do that? Oh, because maybe it'll be a Yom Tov that f- fell out after Shabbat. It's too far of a distance already from the original reason. It's called Gzera Gzera. So Rashi says that no, that... Um, he says that Ella Mishum Gzerat Yom Tov Achar Shabbat. So he says, right? So he says, Ham Matel Okomei Biyom Tov Achar Shabbat. So he says we must be talking about a case where the um, that where where the Yom Tov fell after Shabbat. It's saying even though the Yom Tov fell after Shabbat, we still don't have a Gzerat on the eggs that were inside the chicken that was slaughtered. In other words, certainly in a case where it's a regular Yom Tov and the eggs are found inside the chicken, we wouldn't make a Why? Because what are you making a You're making a in that case, lest it be a case where the egg, egg was laid on, on Yom Tov. And why are you making a in that case? Oh, lest you mix it up with a case where the Yom Tov followed a Shabbat and was on a Sunday. That's too far of a, of a distance. So we're talking about a case where the Yom Tov actually fell out on a Sunday and you slaughtered the chicken and you found it inside. If those eggs had been born that day, had been laid that day, they would have been asur because of this idea of rabah. They would have actually been asur. So it's only a one-level gzerah. It's a, it would have been a one-level gzerah from eggs found inside the chicken that if five minutes later they had been laid, it would have been prohibited. Min Torah, according to rabah, would have been prohibited. So you're actually making only one gzerah. And yet, we're saying we don't make a gzerah. Why don't we make a gzerah? Because... It's milta de la shechicha. It's too uncommon to make the gzera, and that's why we wouldn't do it. And um, and the Tosfod here says that uh, right. He says that the fact that it says it's mutar biyom tov means that um, that uh, uh, that any yom tov, even a yom tov that fell after Shabbat. And he points out here also. He asks a question, Tosfod, on the bottom. That uh, how do you? Why shouldn't you make a gzera that maybe since we found it inside the chicken probably was uh, formed yesterday and it itself should be under the gzera? 
it itself should be under the Gzirah because just like why can't you eat the egg that was born on Yom Tov that fell after Shabbat because it was formed yesterday. So if you slaughter it on Yom Tov, those eggs probably were formed yesterday also. So they should act, it's not even a Gzirah. It should be the primary prohibition. It's not the Gzirah. So he says there that no, he says that it's not considered complete because it wasn't born. We only say that it was completed yesterday if it was actually born that day. But we don't make that assumption if uh, it wasn't born that day. So we don't have to say, oh, maybe it would have been born today. We don't know that, so we don't make that assumption. That's what he says. There's a very interesting Tosafot here that talks about whether the man fell on Yom Tov or not. I thought it was very interesting. He says there are different Midrashim. There are some Midrashim that imply that both on Yom Tov and Shabbat Obviously on Shabbat we know there was no man. But Yom Tov, you could have had man fall. Because after all, you're allowed to prepare food on Yom Tov. You're allowed to carry on Yom Tov. All those things you're allowed to do on Yom Tov. So really it should have been okay. Right? On the other hand, there are some Midrashim that imply that no, there was no man on Yom Tov either. Only on a, only on a day that was not uh, a holy day. And that even when there was a holiday, they would get the man on Erev Yom Tov. Okay, now it could be that part of that issue is an issue also of hachana or an issue of muktzeh. That just like you have the question of designating your food, would it be considered designated if the man fell on Yom Tov since it was designated by Hashem for, for that day or would they have to collect it the day before? But it's a very interesting thing because also it would, be, it would, it would actually have a halachic implication of whether you need lechem mishneh on Yom Tov, right? We hold that you need lechem mishnah, you need double loaf, they impl- because you, we're assuming that they also got double man on Erev Yom Tov, right? So that's, that's the reason. But according to the Midrashim that say that there was no double uh, man on that day because they just got the man regularly on Yom Tov because it was, they're allowed to prepare food. And since it was part of the divine plan, I guess, there's no issue of the nolad or anything like that. So, or hachana, preparation or anything like that. So therefore you could say that uh, actually uh, we wouldn't have to have man, I wouldn't have to have uh, the, the lechem mishneh on a yom tov uh, necessarily. So interesting, you know, it has actually halachic implication too. So Bezad Hashem will continue from here. We'll see one of the suggestions that was,